Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I have met people over the years who had such a gifting from the Lord on their life. And because they were governed by impulse instead of by the Spirit, they never attained to their full potential. And so we all have to be aware of that being a possibility, and we want to do everything we can to make sure that that is not the case with us. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 49 in a message titled, The Prophecies of Jacob. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Chapter 49, we are right down to the last couple of chapters of this great book of Genesis. And 49 is a great chapter because it is the chapter that records for us the last words of Jacob to his sons. And these last words of Jacob were really sort of a mingling of blessings and prophecies of future glories and failings. So as Jacob gathers his sons around really his deathbed and and begins to pronounce these blessings upon them, there's a serious prophetic element in some of these things that he utters. And so there's some good stuff in here for us. So Chapter 49, verse 1, and Jacob called his sons and said, gather together that I may tell you or what shall befall you in the days to come. So he's going to tell them about the future. And and of course, these, um, you know, the blessings are being pronounced upon the sons and, and of course their descendants. And the prophecies to a large degree are prophecies that that extend far beyond these men that are there gathered around their father's bed. But these men, of course, are, are the heads of the 12 tribes that would make up the nations. So in, in prophesying over these men, the prophecy really pertains primarily to their, their descendants who will become the various tribes. And so, gather together and hear you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. And so, Jacob begins his pronouncement here, beginning with his son Reuben. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. So as as Jacob begins to speak to Reuben, he speaks to Reuben, you know, as his firstborn. And of course, the firstborn was the one who would generally inherit the blessing. And and he speaks to Reuben of really of what should have been and of what could have been, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. But here's the sad reality, unstable as water you shall not excel or you shall not prosper. 
Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. So perhaps you remember back uh, earlier in Genesis, we read just that, that brief mention of how Reuben had actually had an adulterous relationship with uh, Bilhah, one of the concubines of Jacob. And so as you look at Reuben, it would be hard to find a more withering contrast between a man and his calling. Reuben should have been the one to receive the blessing. So that was his calling. It was a high calling. He really should have been the one who was blessed and exalted above his brothers. But Reuben was a man of ungoverned impulse. He was unstable, as it says here. Or, or the word could also be translated unruly. And so, as Jacob said, he would not excel or he would never attain his potential. I wonder how many people uh, Reuben typifies. People that have been called, people that have been gifted. I have met people over the years who had such a gifting from the Lord on their life. Such a calling, such, such an ability to you know, attract people and, and to speak and to encourage. And, and because they were governed by impulse instead of by the Spirit, they never excelled. They never uh, attained to their full potential. And so we all have to, to be aware of that being a possibility, and we want to do everything we can to make sure that that is not the case with us. You see, God has a calling upon our lives, and, and let's not come short of that because we are unruly, because we're not allowing the Lord to govern us, but we're self-willed and, and you know, pushing our own agenda or whatever the case. Sad and tragic thing with Reuben. And as you go on in the history and as you study, you know, the, the history of the nation, you find that Reuben never did, never really attained to much, even as a tribe. And most of the references to Reuben this point forward are fairly negative, basically. So he moves on now to the next two sons. And he, and he joins them together. Notice, Simeon and Levi are brothers. And evidently, these guys were, they were tight. They were inseparable. And so Jacob couples them together here. They are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger, they slew a man. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. Now, Jacob, you remember, perhaps, is referring back to that incident in Shechem where that young man Shechem had defiled Jacob's daughter Dinah, but he was actually a fairly noble guy apart from that, and he, he wanted to marry her. He agreed to take care of her, and there, there was an agreement that was made. But these sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, 
they led a kind of a conspiracy against the men of Shechem. And you remember, they convinced them to become circumcised. And when they were recovering from the circumcision, they rose up and they slew all of the uh, men of the city. And, and when the, the event was recorded earlier on in Genesis, you know, it doesn't really give a whole lot of detail about Jacob's feelings regarding it, except, you know, he says to them, you've made me obnoxious in the, in the sight of the people in the land, and you've, you've endangered the family. He rebuked him with that. But here in this pronouncement over them, we see that, that Jacob was extremely grieved by this action of Simeon and Levi. He said, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. And so they slew a man. They slew Shechem. They slew these men. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. And the point that he's making there is they unnecessarily destroyed things just out of maliciousness. So, you know, it wasn't simply just a, an act of vengeance, but there was a malicious thing where they just, they just brought uh, just a fierce destruction that was totally uncalled for. And so he says, cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. And then I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so again, as we follow the history, we find that Simeon more or less disintegrated. Simeon ended up being just sort of mingled in with the tribe of Judah, and, and some of them uh, mingled to some extent with the northern tribes. When they went into, or when they came out of Egypt, they were the third largest tribe, but after the, the wandering in the wilderness, they were actually the smallest tribe. And so they just sort of, you know, fade out in many ways. But then Levi was divided, but in a different way. And so there was, in a sense, some uh, redemption uh, with Levi. And Levi was awarded an honorable dispersion as the priestly element in Israel. So again, as we follow the history, Levi was never given a, a portion of the land but the Levites were dispersed throughout 48 different cities in the land, and the Lord would end up being their portion. And so coming now in verse 8 to Judah. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. And so now here's the key person in the lineage now from this point forward Judah is the one to receive the blessing of the firstborn. He is the one who is going to, to carry on basically the, the covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you followed it chronologically, it would be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Judah. The promises are passing now to Judah. Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Remember, the name Judah means praise. And now the prophecy is, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp or a lion's cub, a young lion. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? 
So now the prophecy concerning Judah is that Judah is going to fiercely overcome their enemies and they, they are going to become the dominant tribe. And of course, this um, for the tribe was fulfilled much later in their history through David. But now verse 10 is the key verse in uh, the entire chapter. Listen to what it says. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver, or another translation, and probably a better translation, is the ruler's staff. So the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So here we see the promise being given to Judah is the promise of dominion and uh, the promise of you know, basically legal authority. The monarchy will arise out of Judah. So this whole idea of a lawgiver being between his feet or the ruler's staff, Kyle and Delich, who are probably the foremost authorities on Hebrew, they said in their commentary, they said, the scepter is the symbol of regal command and in its earliest form it was a long staff which the king held in his hand when speaking in public assemblies. And when he sat up on his throne, he rested it between his feet, inclining it toward himself. So the idea is the scepter, it's the king's staff. So again, Judah is going to rule. The, the kingdom will revolve around the tribe of Judah. Now, notice what it says that the ruler staff shall not depart from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Now, a large number of ancient Jewish commentators saw this as a reference to the Messiah. So the ancient Jewish commentators, they believed that this was a messianic reference, that Shiloh was a reference to the Messiah. Also, uh, before liberalism was in fashion among Christian theologians, Shiloh was universally believed to be a messianic reference. But that's not necessarily the case today. More modern Jewish commentators reject the messianic interpretation, opting for Shiloh being a reference to the city where the tabernacle was pitched upon the conquest of Canaan under Joshua. If you read in the modern Hebrew Bible, I have a copy of the Holy Scriptures, a new translation put out by the Jewish Publication Society, and this is how the text reads in that version of the Scriptures. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, as long as men come to Shiloh. So, in taking it 
as, as most of the modern commentators do, and applying it to this city of Shiloh, they completely take the messianic element away from it. And this is, you know, this is quite fashionable today, and this is something that even occurs among Christian theologians. For some reason, they're, they're always sort of, you know, looking for another possible interpretation, wanting to get away from the strong messianic implication. I don't understand why anybody would want to do that, but we do see that happening at times. But the problem with the idea that it would be the city of Shiloh versus a reference to a person, there's two problems with that. Uh, Problem number one is that there is no mention whatsoever of Shiloh in Genesis, nor is there any evidence that it existed by that name in Jacob's time. So no reference whatsoever. We've studied the whole book of Genesis right up until this point, and there's never been any reference to the city of Shiloh. There's never been any connection between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with the city of Shiloh. Uh, Again, there's no historical proof that it even existed at the time of Jacob. So it would seem strange that there would be a reference to people coming to Shiloh when it wasn't even existing at the time. Secondly... There's no historical event, even later on in history when the tabernacle is set up in Shiloh, there's no historical event giving Judah preeminence over the other tribes, let alone over the nations that occurred at Shiloh. Judah's preeminence over the other tribes would be connected with David's reign in Jerusalem hundreds of years later. So even though the modern Jewish commentators are opting for Shiloh the city, the ancient Jewish commentators believed it to be a messianic prophecy. Now, even some of the newer translations of the Bible that are currently available to us, they obscure the messianic reference. I was looking today in my English Standard Version, the ESV, which is being highly acclaimed as the most accurate translation available today, even in the ESV, there is an obscuring of the Messianic reference. Listen to what the ESV says. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. What in the world does that mean? In all of the, you know, things that I utilized as tools, looking up the Hebrew and so forth, this one, I'm just baffled at how they came up with this one because nobody hints at this idea of tribute coming to him. The reality is this. Shiloh is a proper name, and Shiloh means the one to whom it belongs or the one whose right it is. So the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the one whose right it is shall come, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. This is clearly a messianic prophecy. Actually, believe it or not, the NIV has the most literal translation. Here's the NIV translation. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs. That is a literal rendering of the word Shiloh. Now, there's an interesting pronouncement in Ezekiel. 
And um, why don't we flip over there for a moment. Ezekiel chapter 21. This is, I think, an important passage to look at in relation to this prophecy. In Ezekiel chapter 21, beginning in verse 25, the Lord is pronouncing really a final judgment upon the Davidic line and, and more particularly upon the line of Solomon. And so in verse 25 of chapter 21 of Ezekiel, it says, Now to you, O profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end, thus says the Lord God, remove the turban and take off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the humble and humble the exalted. Overthrown, overthrown. I will make it overthrown. It shall no longer be. He's talking about the monarchy at the time. And listen, he says, it shall no longer be until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. So Ezekiel seems to be drawing off of Genesis 49.10, or the Lord is making reference back to it because it's the, it's the same wording to refer, of course, to the rightful Davidic heir who would be none other than Jesus Christ. Now, why did I go into all of this detail? Why not just simply say, this is a messianic prophecy, and isn't it wonderful? And, and the reason, I could have done that, but the reason that I, I didn't simply do that is because we're living in an age of skepticism and criticism, and we need to be able to address these things with people. Because when we go out and we start talking about the messianic claims of Jesus, you know, let's just say you have a, a Jewish friend, you know, maybe somebody you work with or a neighbor or a childhood friend or something. You start talking to them about uh, the, the messianic picture. You start talking to them about the claims of Jesus and so forth. And then you, you know, you refer them to Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And you say, and, and Shiloh, this is a messianic reference. Reference. They say, oh, no, no, my Bible says it's, it's the city of Shiloh. Or my rabbi said, no, no, that's not a, a messianic reference. You see, for us to be able to say, oh, no, but actually the ancient rabbis did believe that. And actually it doesn't make sense to be the city of Shiloh. And the reality is it couldn't possibly be any of those other things. Because listen to what it says in totality. That a lawgiver or the uh, ruler staff shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Now, what it's simply saying here is that Judah, as, as a political entity, Judah would retain its sovereignty until Shiloh comes. Judah ceased to be a nation in AD 70. Some people put it earlier. There's a, there's a story. I don't know if it's a legend or if, if it actually did occur that there was a certain point in time where the rabbis, having lost their... recognizing that the, the nation had lost its ability to exercise capital punishment. They interpreted that as the scepter having departed from Judah.
For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly at war against us Christians, and sometimes we feel defeated, and at others we give in to the pressures of sin and compromise. But in those times, we should not expect harshness from heaven. We can expect the gentleness of Christ to draw us in all the more, because it is God who sets the terms by which He loves us, no matter how unlovable we think we might be. So no matter what your sin or how long you've been sinning, Jesus will never cast you out. If you need to be encouraged about Jesus' unfailing love for you, or if you know someone that needs to know Jesus' love for them, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.